What's going on, everybody, and welcome back to this week's episode of the All Things Reconsidered podcast. I am Brandon. I'm Joey. And this is our pastor, Pastor Casey Doss of Hope Unlimited Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. Yeah, uh, thank you for coming on the show. Glad to be here, man. I'm uh, I'm nervous. I'm on here with some influence. <laughs> <Right>. You know, <laughs> all of our 1,200 subscribers. Love you guys. Well, it's funny because um, you have been all over the world. Uh, you've been preaching since you were like 13. You've been on TV, and now you're here for what is undoubtedly the lowest point of your career, (laughs) and we are very honored to have you on. Um, No, this isn't the lowest, believe me, (laughs) but I'm glad to be here. What would you call the lowest point? Or how about this? What's one of the weirdest things that you've experienced in ministry? Oh, Jesus. Um, The lowest point of my career was probably... I was preaching in Philadelphia. This happened a couple of years ago. Mm, the Pennsylvania people can't trust them. <laughs> and a guy in our church, I'll know, Stephen Womack, he used to travel with me. We got trapped in a uh, Philadelphia gas station for about four hours. Ooh. And it was the kind, it was in the part of town where at nine o'clock they lock the front doors and you Put can the shutters down. They pull everything down yeah. and you have yeah. to pay at a drive through for gas and things like that. Nobody else. Oh, uh, yeah. And we wow. were stuck there. How'd you get your car break down? No, we got. Uh, I actually don't know how we got there. I didn't drive. <laughs> I, I flew there. Um, and then we finally got a cab to come get us. Our hotel was only like three miles away, but there was no way we were walking. Sure. Um, and when the when the guy arrived, he was <clears throat> adamant that he wanted to take us to a strip club. Wait, you're a cab driver? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I know where you asked him to take you, but <laughs> I know where you yeah. got to go. And I finally had to I finally had to go, dude, I'm a preacher. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh, 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 my bad, my bad. <laughs> well, we will not try to kidnap you and take you to a strip club on the All Things Reconsidered Not a, At least not till the second time. <laughs> I say that's one of the weirdest. That's the one that comes to mind, but we've had some overseas experiences that are that are equally bizarre. But oh, I'm that's sure. That. So for our viewers, uh, Brandon and I have known Casey for a few years now because he taught at the school that we went to. Yep. Um, and so we, we were at that school for two years. Did you actually complete I your did. time there? I sure did. So you are a graduate? Oh, yeah. Good. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, Got yeah. Got my certificate and everything. Wow. Did you not graduate? Oh, I did. I thought you did. Yeah, I did. I did. I just, for some reason, I thought that you dropped out. I don't know why. Brandon Barrett. <laughs> the other, Brandon the other Barrett Brandon. didn't graduate. Correct. That's correct. correct. Yes. Calling out Brandon Barrett. <laughs> <I'm> not, <laughs> um, didn't mean to do that. Love you, buddy. So, yeah. One of the things that I wanted to ask you about. So, one of my TikToks that, that blew up pretty well was me just asking the question, what's the craziest thing you've seen in a church service? And we're not going to you know, talk badly about where we've come from, but we've seen some pretty wild stuff. And uh, I really want to know, you know, you told us that story about the the gas station, but I'm on stage at a church service. What's the weirdest thing you've seen someone do at at that place that we were at? (laughs) I don't know if we want to name drop. (laughs) Or even if it's not that place, it's the weirdest thing you've seen happen in a service. I don't know. I, I think I know what you're talking about, though. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. The, uh, the socks. Oh, yeah. The socks, yeah. Grab a couple socks. Spin your shoes, sock keys. I don't care. Come on, grab something. Everybody. <laughs> you spin me right round, Jesus, right round. Like a record, Jesus, right round, round, round. You spin me right round, Jesus, right round, like a record, Jesus, right round, sing it out. I was there? there. I was there. Please tell us about that. I was in that service. I want to say that that was, so that was Rick Pino leading, yeah. leading worship. Mm-hmm. And Rick is a dear friend. I love Rick. He's, he's a great guy. 
I want to say that was like his first or second time to ever be at the real wow. ramp wow. or that place that shall not be named. Right. <laughs> the Voldemort ministry we're talking about. Um, I think it was his first or second time there. He was getting to know us. We were getting to know him. And again, I love, I have nothing negative to say about Rick. Pino. Oh, absolutely. He's, a, he's a dear, dear friend. But uh, I will make this clear that I did not participate. <laughs> you were, you were on stage like with the team at that? I was on stage, but I did not participate. I was, I was, a, I was standing strong against, I was Gandalf. You will not pass. <laughs> so you your know, socks stayed on. My socks stayed on, but I do remember that vividly. And if anybody's ever been to the ramp, this is typically after two and a half days of some of the most intense, long right. worship baptism. It already smelled bad enough in there because yeah. teenagers haven't <laughs> bathed in two days and have been sweating. And now we're going to take our socks off. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that one for sure ranks up there. I was, I was surprised when I saw it go viral a couple months ago the way it did. I was like, yeah. well, I was there. And it's so funny because like, I saw it in just like random people. I'm like, oh, how did you find this? I'm like, okay, listen. He does have some great music. Like, you can't, like, throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like, I know this looks crazy, but, like, just drop some of the albums. Like, you know, he's got some good stuff in there. Like, Well, I'll tell you this. I wasn't here for this, but I had a friend that, that we all know tell me this. I won't name the evangelist's name. I think he's he's actually gone on to be of the Lord now. But it was one of those Pentecostal services where you have these prayer lines or laying hands on people yeah. for healing. And a woman comes up. She has breast cancer. And... um that she had both breasts removed and she comes up asking for prayer. And she explains to the, <laughs> I can't believe I'm telling this story. You might want to take this out. She explains to the evangelist what's going on and he's just feeling it. And he's fired up. Sure. And he's been laying hands and people are falling out. <laughs> and he, he has his microphone and he hands it to his armor bearer, or whatever they want to call it. And he, and he's going to lay hands on her for total restoration. Oh, no. oh. and he goes, Oh, no. How big do you want them, sister? Oh, and no. lays <laughs> It is. I don't know what happened after that, but the yeah. hand rub is what's going on. <laughs> oh god, no, that's horrible. <laughs> oh man, I think the weirdest thing I've ever seen was when somebody prayed for me through a um, stuffed animal of a dinosaur. Did you hear the story? No. So this I've happened, never heard this story. This happened. You were there actually. Um, I, we were uh, on the recruitment team for the school, okay. and we went with you to, I think, like Virginia or someplace. And uh, we, I think I know exactly the event you're talking about. Yeah. So we went with you. We set up our booth, and somebody came up to our booth, and he was he was probably like 20. Sure. And he was carrying a dinosaur stuffed animal, like this big. And it kind of looked ratty, and so I thought it was funny. So I asked him about it, and he said his eyes got big, and he said, "I found this in the elevator of my hotel, and it's a gift from Daddy God." Oh, <laughs> first red flag. I know, I know. Anyone who says Daddy God is obviously going to hell. But besides that, he he so he, he's saying that this is a gift from God, and I was like, "That's awesome, man. That's great." And he said his name is the Glory Sore because he breathes the glory of the Lord. Yeah. Some poor child's like dinosaur left in the elevator. Like they yeah. can't sleep at night now. They're like yeah. crying because their dinosaurs go. But now it's the glorious or he has been promoted. His name's actually Fred. Like I think, yeah. I, I think I know the event you're talking about. And there was a handful of students there mm-hmm. that were a part of a particular ministry. And that particular ministry is uh, pretty eccentric. I guess would be the word. I don't think they're like that anymore. But during that same event, we were upstairs in between services. And one of those guys came up to me and said, I just feel like I'm supposed to pray for your shoulder. You have something going on with your shoulder. 
and I just had to say, no, I mean, I'm good. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, it's nice of him to try, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Um, so, so he prayed for you through the dinosaur. Oh yeah, yeah. No, he actually talked to the dinosaur. Like he. Oh Jesus. Yeah. So he, I thought you meant he laid the dinosaur on you. He did right. both of those things. So oh. so he asked if he could pray for me, and I was there with like Levon and Alex and other people. Oh yeah. And they were kind of off to the side, and they were just watching. And I they bet were they were like, loving they were like, it too. No, don't let this guy pray for you. And I kind of gave him a look like, just check this out. Like, <laughs> I was like, all right, man, give me, go ahead. And uh, he pressed the dinosaur against my forehead, and then started like kind of rubbing it on my my head and my my hair. And he yeah. was, and then he said, "Glory, sore, I command you to release the fire of God." And then he like blows on me, Jesus. which is supposed to be the dinosaur's breath, I yeah, guess. Right, sure. And so I just like went, I was just stared at him. I was like, "Dude, I'm not feeling anything." <laughs> <laughs> so that was my weirdest experience. That's up there. Yeah, I've not heard that one. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Well, do you want to go ahead and uh, get into today's topic? Yeah, sure, Joey. Lead us off. Okay. Tee uh, up. Yeah, so one of the things that we really have been trying to communicate um, for our audience is how to read the Bible away from the very strict literalist approach that most of us in American churches have been raised in. And um, I feel like that's probably even where you had read it before in your past, before you... Sure, yeah. yeah, that's probably... So how did you transition from a literalist reading to what you how you would read it now like what was that journey like i don't know that i can even chart these major shifts in my thinking i do think that if you're raised as a christian in america you're bound to read it flatly right literal that's the only hermeneutic that we have except for passages that are obviously that we think are obviously not literal. Like right. if your right hand offends you, cut it off. Well, he can't mean that. Of so course we got yeah, we, right, right. we got to take a different angle there. But the rest of it, the yeah. funny thing is that what, what really is interesting to me about the way we read scripture is we've all heard sermons about, we'll use Moses coming out of Egypt and the Egyptians chasing him and God drowning the Egyptians in the Red Sea. And we've all heard that preached in spiritual and allegorical ways. Right. God's going to drown the things that are chasing you and yeah. you know the bondages that have held you captive. God's going to... So we preach it spiritually. Right. But we're not allowed to read it that way. Right. Yeah, exactly. It makes for good preaching, but it doesn't make for good reading, which doesn't make any sense to me at all. I don't know how... I don't know that I could chart out how that process happened. Just reading, yeah. studying, thinking wrestling with wrestling with these texts that one of my favorite um, theology professors says God does not intend to save us from interpretation Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. he saves us through interpretation right meaning when we wrestle with these texts when we grapple with these texts that's when God does some of his best work in us yeah well yeah I mean that that's um, that's kind of been my journey for the past couple of years is trying to break away from a literalist reading. And one of the common things that we've both gotten from people is this, the pushback is, um, well, if you're saying that the Bible's not literal, then basically you're saying it's worthless and that it's not true. You're saying that the Bible is, is just completely false. And we've done our best <laughs> to right. communicate with people that that's not the case, that uh, a t- it doesn't have to be literal to be truth, and that truth can be communicated even through something that isn't um, you know, scientifically accurate. Um, but people are still struggling with that. So what would you say to that? Well, I mean, Jesus' parables mm-hmm. are the essence of that. They're not 
true stories, but you can't right. say they're not true. Right. They're, um, I, I like to explain it this way. When, when you read the Old Testament or the New Testament, you're reading a particular kind of literature mm-hmm. in a completely different language to a totally different audience yeah. millennia ago. Right. right. Now, if I handed Joey a book with no author, no cover, no title, and you opened it, and the first line said, once upon a time. Mm-hmm. You would immediately know by reading that first line what you're reading. Right. You're reading a fairy tale. Right. And you know you're going to read that fairy tale a certain way. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> now, are all fairy tales false? Is is like Harry Potter. We joke about Harry Potter because everybody freaks out over Harry right. Potter. The real, <laughs> the real message behind the Harry Potter books is sacrificial love redeems. Yeah. Is the Harry Potter story true? No. But is the Harry Potter story true in that way? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Yes, mm-hmm. it is, right? Right, right? Lord of the Rings, the, the story of the Lord of the Rings is Slayer Dragons, right? Right. Is Lord of the Rings true? I like that. I like to think that it is. <laughs> I do too. In my, in, my heart, in my heart, there is a Middle Earth somewhere. But is it true in that way? Is what it communicating true? Mm-hmm. Yes. That's the same thing when Jesus tells his parables. Is the story of the prodigal son true? Mm-hmm. No. But is it true in what it's trying to communicate? Absolutely. Right. Well, how did we get to how do we get to this point where most Christians in America uh you know basically have it so backwards where this kind of thing that you're talking about is so revolutionary? Um like how do we get so confused and so literal with the text? I think and I think you've touched on this in previous podcasts. I've not got to watch all of them, but <clears throat> Just the fact that you watch some is, is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a subscribe. Follow you guys on Instagram. Yeah. What are, you, are you kidding? Um, there was a a hermeneutic mm-hmm. that was instantiated in Christian thinking mm-hmm. that was taught to Christians, preachers, ministers, church leaders, and it was this. And this is this is repeated over and over and over again. And we have fundamentalism to think to thank for this. If the literal sense makes sense. Seek no other sins. <laughs> right. That was the mantra that you grew up with when you were training for ministry. If the literal sense of Scripture makes sense, then seek no other sins. That's wow. how you get things like creationism. That's how you get things right. like violent Old Testament readings. That's right. how you get things like <clears throat> rapture doctrines or eternal conscious torment in hell. Because if the literal sense makes sense, seek no other sins. Right, right. So just don't go any deeper than that. And again, that... that ideology is really from fundamentalism which is younger than our country yeah so it is not an old theology it is not the way that the early church fathers looked at the bible it's not the way that they read the bible but for some reason if you look at it this way in 2021 you're labeled a progressive christian right which is the which is a so very funny. interesting thought. You know, I, I was trying to tell someone one time that I've been reading some of the earlier church fathers and trying to go back to the, the, the patristics, you know, and the things I was talking about, they were calling progressive. And um, it's kind of funny. I saw someone online say that it's kind of like our new, you know, we used to say it's not a religion, it's a relationship. Now we can tell them it's not progressive, it's patristics. <laughs> because <laughs> they, they take these things that we talk about that are ancient and they act as if it's brand new and, 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 right. and form. Yeah. There's a, an early church father. His stuff is just now starting to be translated and published. His name's Maximus the Confessor. Mm-hmm. He was born, well, I think, what, 6th century in Palestine. He's called the Confessor in, in the ancient world. They had hierarchies of, of different classes of people. A martyr was the top. A martyr was somebody that had been mm-hmm. murdered right. for the Christian faith. But right. underneath, underneath that were confessors. 
that those were the ones that had been tortured for the Christian faith. Maximus ends up ends his life by getting his tongue and his hand cut off oh, wow. because of the things that he said. Wow. His theology is brilliant. And he writes, when he talks about reading the text, he, they all agree that these things are not meant to be read literally. And he sure. uses this language. When you grasp for the literal meaning of the text, you are grasping for Joseph's garment like Potiphar's wife. You're not grabbing wow. a hold of Joseph himself. Wow. Right. And that's kind of the, that's kind of how we see this, this, these, these simple surface readings are us grasping a garment, and at least we have a hold of something, right, right. but it's not the thing that God's trying to get us to get a hold right. of. That's yeah. one of the funniest things that I think I see on Facebook where people are like, it's right there in the Bible. It's perfectly clear. I'm like, and that's why I've been arguing about it for 2,000 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If you, anybody that argues that it is perfectly clear mm-hmm. is not reading that. Right. Well, they're being well, intellectually dishonest with it. Um, I, 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 was, I was reading from uh, St. Gregory of Nyssa, and he was saying that, I mean, boiling it down, uh, he was basically saying that if the scripture, when read literally, if a, if a literal reading of it makes God into something less than good, then you have to reject a literal reading. Um, and so that's kind of his way, at least from that uh, piece from him that I've read, that's his way of determining when to read literally and when not to. Um, but how else can we know when it's literal and when it's not? Well, and I'm sure you've talked about this, that the the greatest revelation we have of God the best way that we know God is not the Bible. Right. The best way we know God is Jesus. Right. Right. And if we know anything about Jesus, we know he's a storyteller. So in the Old Testament, when we see these stories, the God character in the story sometimes does not act like God. Right, yeah. Absolutely. Sometimes in the story, the human in the story acts as a better God yeah. than the God character in the story. And the ancient fathers would say that is precisely what it's trying to teach you, mm. that these stories are not only making affirmations about God, they're also making negations about God. Mm-hmm. They're saying God is like this, and he's not like that. Right, right. Yeah. So like when he's destroying Sodom and Gomorrah and Abraham is arguing to save it. Right. Who's, who's the, who is the more beautiful, the more good, the more true character in that story? Ab- the, right. the example I always use is Abraham with Sodom and Gomorrah. Right. And... God's about to judge Sodom. Abraham steps in if there's 50, 40, 30, yada, yada, yada. Right. Contrast that with the story of Jonah, where God says, I'm going to judge Nineveh, and I want you to go and preach to them that they repent. And Jonah's like, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. right, right. All of them. Yeah. You have two different visions of two different prophets. Which one of those is most like God as we see him in Jesus? The scriptures have to be read for and through Christ right. if they're going to be read properly. Paul says this over and over and over again. He says, when you read the Old Testament, apart from Christ, you read it with a veil over your eyes. Right. Meaning you are not seeing clearly if you read this apart from Christ. Right. So when we see things, I don't want to, I don't want to get too bogged down in terminology, but in theology, there are two, there are two main ideas. You have, just make it sound more official. So just, just okay, go away. Yeah. We'll, we'll throw every big word we got. <laughs> oh, Absolutely. <laughs> You have what's called cataphatic theology and okay. apophatic theology. Okay. Cataphatic theology is when we speak about God in affirmations. Apophatic theology is when we speak about God in negations. Mm-hmm. So cataphatic theology would be God is love, God is good, God is beautiful. Right. 
apophatic theology would be God is not cruel, God is not evil, God is not God cannot lie. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. When we read these stories, we're always trying to read them looking for their affirmations, but we also have to read them for their negations. <laughs> God is like Abraham. He is not like Jonah. Right. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. <clears throat> Absolutely. In regards to Bible literalism, I saw a comment in our comment section on a video asking about if Genesis isn't literal, if Adam and Eve weren't the literal first people, why did Jesus have to come and die? Because the only way that they were able to find sin is Adam and Eve's original sin. Right. So that kind of gets into the question of original sin and why evil exists if not for a literal Adam and Eve. Let me, let me say something about literalism in Genesis before we go mm-hmm. further down that road. So that is, that's the claim that people always make. You're not reading Genesis literally. Now, there's a whole branch of study called comparative studies. When people take the text of Genesis, really the text of the Pentateuch, the first five books, yep. and they read them over against other literature of the time, things like the Epic of Gilgamesh and the Enuma Elish and all the, the ancient documents that we yep. have. <clears throat> and there's so much in those documents. You can tell that the writers of Genesis, this is going to perhaps maybe bother some people, but <laughs> the writers of Genesis, a lot of times they're, they're accused of borrowing from these ancient documents, yeah. but it's not an issue of them borrowing because the story of Gilgamesh is a man finds the tree of life right at the bottom of the ocean, Yep, swims down and pulls it out and takes it home, but it's stolen from him by a serpent. Right. Where do we hear that kind of language? That's obviously in Genesis. Mm-hmm. Right. Critics say that Genesis is borrowing from Gilgamesh. That's really not what's happening. They live in a common cognitive environment. Right. So when Genesis is written, it is written in this specific way. Yeah. So when people say you're not reading Genesis literally, in reality, we're reading it literally in the way that it was meant to be read. Mm-hmm. Right. When, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. when you read it in Western literalism, you're not reading it literally. Right. 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 We have to get away from trying to read scripture literally and read it literarily. Mm, yeah. This is a particular type of text. And you have to read that a specific way. Back to my example of the fairy tale. If you if I handed you a book and it said roses are red, violets are blue. Right. That means you're reading poetry. Right. If I hand you a book with no name and it says um, September 11th, 2001, two planes flew into the trade tower. You're reading a particular kind of text. Right. And we automatically know right. that all three of those texts can contain truth. Yeah. And none of them are meant to be read the same way. Yeah. Right. But we don't approach the Bible that way. Mm-hmm. The Bible is full of poetry, narrative, epistle, apocalyptic imagery, history, history in the ancient Near Eastern sense of history. It's full of Mesopotamian myth. Myth not meaning that it's not true. Right, exactly. It's a particular way of of reading and writing. And until we wrap our minds back around that, we're always going to struggle with these. But the early church fathers would always say, when they would deal with texts like Joshua going in to slay the Canaanites, I think it was Athanasius maybe that said it. He said, of course this is not meant to be read. Right as God actually telling Joshua right. to go murder humans. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. This is a picture of what God's doing to the things that are invading our life that are harming us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to be our Joshua for us, defeating the sin and the evil that's asserting itself against us. That's how this text is meant to be written. Right. That's that's awesome. Yeah, I mean the way that I've approached issues of like the violence of the Old Testament is um 
not so much applying it in a in a spiritual reading or like a metaphorical sense like you just described, but more so thinking about it as, you know, that's just what man thought God was telling them at the time. Basically, Joshua thought incorrectly that God wanted him to commit genocide, just like the Europeans who came here thought that God wanted them to kill, you know, Native Americans. And so they've just been getting it wrong, essentially. But then Jesus set the record straight uh, by saying, love your enemies. He basically came as like the second Joshua and was correcting the first one, right? more or less. Yeah. Can we hold those two interpretations at the same time? Of thinking that there's a spiritual meaning and it's metaphorical for Jesus defeating our enemies or however, but it's also this yeah. progressive idea of like people growing in their understanding of God? Sure, and, and I, yeah, and I don't think a spiritual reading of these texts mm-hmm. should completely negate any historical re- reliability. Right. I just don't think that's where we need to, to hang our hat, right? And so... I think there are absolutely aspects of the Old Testament that when we read them, what God is trying to say to us is, when I speak to people, mm-hmm. they can respond wrongly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it can go very badly. Right. Right. Yeah. Even in the Old Testament itself, the Old Testament is evolving within itself. Right. You have the early part of the Old Testament where there's animal sacrifices. Well, that was a practice adopted by right, other that, religions from the that era. It wasn't new to Christian or to uh to Judaism. Judaism. Yeah. Is the word. I was like if I say Christianity, I'm like that's that, that not. wasn't new. Right? <laughs> right. As a matter of fact, the, the practice of animal sacrifice pre existed Abraham even showing up. Right. Okay. Right. And by the end of the Old Testament, the prophets are saying, We want nothing to do with these. God never wanted this. Right. You see that evolution begin to transpire. You see their revelation of God being more and more refined and more and more um, clear until finally they land at Jesus. And he says, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Right. <laughs> and then he would come along and say crazy things like, I know Moses said that. Right, yep. But I'm saying this. So Jesus right. was correcting their misunderstandings of who God is. That's right. So now that we've been thousands of years since the last pages of the Bible were written, and we've had more time with the Spirit leading us into more truth, do you think that it is... Um, safe to say that there may be things that we've grown understanding of that even the writers of the Bible were not fully understanding of or were wrong about? Or is that kind of getting dangerous by getting too far away from from Scripture? No, I think there's definitely what I think I would be caught, uh, uh, leery of is when we I've had people say this to me. Well, I just disagree with Paul right mm-hmm. here. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. well, I don't think we're reading Paul well. If you read the early church fathers, like you're talking about. Gregory, um, Maximus, Origen, all of the, you know, Isaac, of, all of these, all these writers built upon what Paul was saying. Right. I think we have, and, and, and this is, this is to your point earlier when you said you were making the, the, the funny statement about Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. Right. Right. And we, I grew up hearing that mm-hmm. and it's a way of individualizing right. yep. Jesus for us. But what Christians don't understand is that Christianity is a religion that we inherited. Right. We were we were given this ancient deposit of the faith, and we don't get to redefine it however we want to. Right. Right? There are things, if we want to pick on the fundamentalists, there are things that the evangelicals <laughs> and the fundamentalists believe that's literally no longer the Christian faith, if you believe that. Sure. It's a different faith. That is not the deposit handed down to us. Right. And so I think with the New Testament and the writer's the early fathers who expounded on those ideas, um, 
I do think that we need to grow an understanding of that. I do think we yeah. need to evolve. I don't think we need to come against, but mm-hmm. I do think we need to 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 grow beyond that. Mm-hmm. I'm not a biblicist, if you can tell. I'm not right. a staunch <laughs> biblicist. Right, right. Uh, can you explain what that is for anyone who doesn't recognize that term? A biblicist is somebody that says the Bible is inerrant, infallible. It's inspired. I do believe the Bible is inspired, but it's inerrant, infallible, and it is the sole standard for everything that I know to be true about anything ever. Right. right. It has right. authority yep. to speak into anything, including to science. Anything. And, yeah. And if you notice, if you go look at our mainstream denominations, at least our Pentecostal denominations, if you go look at their statement of faith, the very first thing they talk about is not their doctrine of God. It's not their doctrine of Jesus. It's not what it's they think always about the of spirit. the Bible. Yeah. We believe the Bible. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. Right? And then the Bible. But the problem with reading the Bible is, is this going to get us in trouble? No, nah. not at all. Hey, we've said some ridiculous things. So oh, absolutely. Fine. The problem with how we read the Bible is all of us read the Bible under certain pressures of our immediate context, our immediate culture, the world we live in. Right, right. We are Pentecostals in Knoxville who came from a particular ministry that we thank God for and honor, yeah. and we've had certain experiences. We read the Bible with a certain level of different pressures exerting itself on us. Right. And the communities that we grow up in, whether we know it or not, they will tell us how to read the Bible. They will actually tell us what the Bible can and cannot say. Yeah. Those unspoken pressures. That's why if we're ever going to read this faithfully, if we're ever going to read the text faithfully, we have to read it by engaging with other communities. Yeah. Interpretation is a communal act. Right. Right. It has to, it has to transcend you and your Jesus in your Bible and your prayer clause. Right. Mm -hmm. This is why Judaism had rabbis. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually going to bring that up. There's actually a, uh, there's a practice in uh, Jewish reading of the Bible where they sit down together and explore a specific text together and ask each other questions because they believe that in the questions you find the answers. So in your truth and my truth, we find the actual truth. That's right. And so they, they never want to depart and say, my interpretation is the correct one. Let me share it with you. It's our interpretation will eventually find the truth. Well, I think that fundamentalists are more concerned with just maintaining a set of answers, a rigid sheet of of all the answers to any question. And so they don't embrace ambiguity or debate or difference of opinion because they'd rather be able to just say, no, we got that figured out. We're done thinking about it. Um, You know, I was reading how much of the fundamentalist movement took off after the Scopes Monkey Trial where basically um, that lawyer was made to look like a fool because he was schooled by this, you know, other lawyer who knew more about science. And basically from there, fundamentalism grew because they didn't want that to happen again. They wanted to be more prepared so they would have an answer in and out of season at any time. And uh, the apologetics movement came from that of just always feeling like they have to be ready for anything. And now we have people who think that any slight change of thought is is somehow you know heretical or backsliding right and the and the, the deeper the the more sinister part of that is the real reason we grasp onto these types of readings is because we desperately need them to protect a certain way of life that we have yeah that's right that's the real motivation mm-hmm. when you when you bring up the lgbtq question mm-hmm. the real reason we're not willing to engage that theologically, ethically, intellectually, is because any, any, any deviation of any kind from a particular reading that we've inherited 
threatens our way of life. Right. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. With exactly. this last election, I, I saw this more than ever with this last election, that when Trump lost, people literally thought in six months we we're going to become the Soviet Union. It's, yeah. it's like it's they're 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 holding on with with their dear life to a particular way of life because right. we don't want the Bible. We have to have communities that tell us what the Bible can and cannot say. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. There's even um, I think a lot about our, our gender hierarchy, even in households. Is we we don't want to read the Bible differently because that would cause that even to crumble. Um, you know, we both read Jesus and John Wayne earlier this year, and I think they laid out the history of how so much of our understanding of, of gender and of, um, you know, America's role with the church, it, it's contingent upon this fundamentalist reading. And any sort of change from that would kind of throw a wrench into that whole system. Right. Right. Um, it threatens our way of life, yeah. and we interpret our way of life as the kingdom of God. Right. Now, this is all... The way that we read the Bible is, for me at least, and probably for you too, one of the fundamental ways that we started our uh, deconstruction from fundamentalism. And so I want to ask you, from your take um, on this whole deconstruction movement, because it seems like you kind of grew out of fundamentalism a little bit before even this this trend of deconstruction started so you kind of like deconstructed before deconstruction was a thing <laughs> so what uh you know that's kind of the main point of our, our show is like leading people out of fundamentalism and, and embracing uh some of the <clears throat> things that we've learned about so what is your opinion on that whole movement and if you could give anyone who currently is deconstructing any advice what would it be my thoughts on the movement first are couple of things number one i'm 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 encouraged by what i see i think when people hear the term deconstruction they automatically think a departure of faith in god right completely and it, and it doesn't have to mean that and it shouldn't mean that um i've said this from the pulpit before people that are deconstructing i don't view them as losing faith in god I view them as they're losing confidence in a set of beliefs Mm -hmm. that they were given. And I think that's a good thing. A lot of times people don't know what to do with that. To lose those set of beliefs is to threaten. It's an existential threat to their their existence and, and whether or not God's even real. So I do think the deconstruction movement is doing good work. I think it's refining um, the church in a thousand different ways. That's good for us. One of the weaknesses of the deconstruction movement is I see people walking through this process and they're not doing it theologically. Right. They're, they will say something as simple as, well, I don't believe in hell anymore because there's no way a loving God would send somebody to hell. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, that's, that's that, just lazy. <laughs> that's that's a claim. Right. You're yeah, not making yeah. an argument. That, right. That's a claim. And really, that kind of thinking is no deeper than what got us into fundamentalism to begin with. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I don't believe in the traditional views of hell. We we know. I believe in the ultimate redemption of, of, of all things. But right. I didn't get there just because I decided, well, this just, this just can't be right. Right. No, right. there's theological work that has to be done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that would be my advice to those deconstructing that— there's theological work to be done. You can't just you can't just scrap this because you don't like it. I understand that. I don't like it either. But the answers are to be found in going back to the ancient deposit of the faith that we have. Yeah, right. Because Christian, the Christian tradition, when properly understood, is the most compelling, beautiful, gripping reality 
yeah that we have yeah right? I, I told somebody this the other day they were asking about why even be a christian what's the purpose of christianity mm-hmm. and i said well you're not saved because you believe in christianity we're right. saved because we believe in Jesus. Mm-hmm. But what Christianity does is it is the tradition that teaches us what we look like when we're most fully human, when we're most fully reflecting God into the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Now, our version of Christianity has not been that. Right. But the Christian tradition that was handed to us from the fathers is absolutely that. Right. So I would, I would tell those that are watching that need advice, I would do this work theologically. I would do this work by reading outside of your circles if you want to if you want to refute fundamentalists by going and reading more fundamentalists you're never you're getting out of that yeah you're <laughs> never getting out of that so yeah i would read outside my circle okay i think white people need to read black voices mm-hmm. i think men need to read female voices right um i think protestants need to read catholic and orthodox voices mm-hmm. i think pentecostals need to read um, scholarly voices, because all we do is want to lay on the floor and speak in tongues, you know. Um, I think you got to read outside. This is a communal act, mm-hmm. and I think the more Christianity gets refined to us, the more compelling it is. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, a, a big point of deconstruction that we've talked about a little bit mm-hmm. um, has been, for a lot of people, has been um, penal substitution. Um, and we've we've tried to talk on this, but honestly, um, you know, one of the things that we always say when we start our show is that we're not experts, which is still true. Still Didn't true. Didn't say it earlier, but still true. Still very true. And and we could put in the work, like you're saying, of becoming experts, but it's just easier to bring an expert on instead. So, <laughs> could you explain a bit about um, your issues with penal substitution? Because I know that for for a lot of us, um, I still see it as like the default understanding of what the cross accomplished. So um, just to catch people up so that you don't have to waste your time with it, uh, penal substitution is this atonement theory that basically the reason why Jesus went to the cross was because God essentially demanded um, that sacrifice and that it was an appeasement to God. He had to kill something. Yeah. That he God was so cosmically pissed off. He had to murder somebody mm-hmm. and Jesus was like, I, I got it. Yeah. I will. I will do the. I will be the murdered. Yeah. So yeah. Just and, calm and, down. He'll be okay. Right. And penal. So, penal meaning penalty. Right. He was a substitute. He substituted himself for a penalty. Yeah. So so he takes the the beating for us, and now God's not mad anymore, and so now he, that that's good. We dodged a bullet. Yeah. Yeah. But a lot of people ask, you know, why would a good father be that angry at us in the first place? Why would he need his son to to die for us? You know, a lot of people struggle with this. So, so what's your take on it? Yeah. So there's a lot there to unpack. Penal substitutionary atonement became popular based on certain readings of Augustine, St. Augustine. Right. Now, again, I don't want to go, I don't know how far to go with, with these answers. So I don't want to keep you here forever, but (laughs) in the 11th century, there was a big divide between the Catholic and the Orthodox Mm -hmm. churches known as the great schism. Mm -hmm. Right. 1054. And you had two, you had two towers like the Lord of the Rings. Oh yeah, right? you had Constantinople, and then you had Rome. Rome was the Latin West. Constantinople was the Greek East. Mm. All right, this is this is still the divergence today between right. the Eastern Orthodox and the Catholic Church. And the Catholic center, being centered in Rome, harped on your criminal in a courtroom, law, justice. Very, very Romanized Roman, yeah, thinking. Yeah. In the Greek world, the Orthodox world never viewed it these these ways, and they still don't view it these ways. And so, God is so angry; He has to kill somebody because we offended His holiness. 
we are criminals standing in the courtroom. The Eastern Orthodox came along, and they're right. And they said, the New Testament never speaks of us in the framework of we're criminals in a courtroom. Right. This isn't criminal law. This is, we are slaves in the household of death. Right. Right. And what Jesus' death accomplished was not something that God, again, I don't want to get too deep into this. No. What transformed humanity was not Jesus' death. Mm-hmm. It was Jesus' incarnation. Right. Mm-hmm. What tra- transformed our humanness and allowed us to be renewed and, ma- and made back into God's original intention for humanity was Jesus' incarnation. That act was salvific for us. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Jesus' death liberated us from death, but him becoming like us. When we say that Jesus emptied himself out, when he poured himself out, right. the theology term, since we're using all the ones we can think oh, of yeah. today, yeah. is called kenosis. Uh-oh. His his canonic act, his self-emptying. Yeah. When he poured himself out, he was not emptying himself of his divinity. He was elevating our humanity back to its original intention. Mm-hmm. That's what Christmas means. Right. We know what Easter means, but that's what Christmas means. That now he became like us, so now he can make us more fully us. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So another term in theology is theosis. Okay. Which is the elevation of humans to a place of divinity. Mm. All right. His kenosis was our theosis. Wow. His outpouring was him pouring himself into our nature so our nature could be elevated to be like him. Right, right. Right. We we completely miss what the incarnation means for mm-hmm. salvation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 so interesting to me because like I feel like because I wasn't raised in church. And, you know, I heard all the Christmas songs and whatever. So that was my uh, extent of knowing the gospel growing up was just Christmas music. And so it was always so interesting. I'm like, we care more about God dying than we do about just the fact that God came to earth. Like, we very much downplay the birth of Jesus and, you know, God becoming fully man. Right. And it's like, that is a huge deal. Like... No, nobody talks about that. Like, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he came, but then he died. <laughs> Athanasius said, "The Son of God became the Son of Man, so the sons of men could become the sons of God." God becoming man was not God humbling Himself. Right. That's not Jesus' act of humility. That's not Jesus' humiliation. Right. He wanted to be man so he could be with us. Right. And be like us. His humiliation comes when he dies as a man. Yeah. If you notice, that's the only time in Jesus' life where the two natures rub against each other's in Gethsemane. Yeah. I'm a human. I don't want to do this. (laughs) When he decided to become human, he wasn't saying, not my will, yours be done. He wanted to be like us and be with us. Right. It was when he had to die that you see those rubs. Right. But his death set us free from the household of death, not a judge executing a sentence against somebody else. So it didn't have to be executed against. Yeah, him. that's fantastic. But I'm just sitting here grappling with the idea that Carmen's video about being in a courtroom <laughs> is inaccurate. It's uh, deeply inaccurate. That's, that's a shame. Joe, so much of your life. Has I, been know. Just... I know this whole bookshelf. Man. <laughs> listen, listen, God bless Carmen, man. Um, but if he is shaping your theology, <laughs> <laughs> God bless him. May he rest in peace, right? But if he's shaping your theology. Yeah, did you bad. take Carmen's death hard? Was that a blow? You know, it was it was a tough day. You know? uh, did you hear, you know, this is totally off topic. And we'll get back to penal substitution. But um, speaking about Carmen and, and other musicians, did you hear that one of the singers of DC Talk is uh, calling himself an ex-evangelical now? 
I heard. So I, I was never big in the contemporary Christian music. Scene. Oh, really? When I got saved, I oh, was. So you like good music, is what you're saying? <laughs> I was always in the worship music scene. When I really got transformed and and really started serving God for real, it was in the heat of the Brownsville revival. Oh, okay. And so I was just listening to Brownsville music all the time. I never really. I don't have. I wish I did now because I hear all these stories. But I never had a real uh, a real connection to that that world. Right. But well, yes, I did hear that. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, musicians and and Christian people from that I grew up watching that have been in this deconstruction thing. And one of the things that they do talk about, because I've listened to some of them on podcasts, not Kevin Max of DC Talk yet, because I don't think he's done any, but other people, they always do bring up penal substitution as being the big thing that stops them. And what it, I always want to show people is that just because you have problems with penal substitution, you know, that doesn't mean that that um, there's no other atonement theories out there that you can learn you know people think that if i have an issue with that that must mean that i have i have an issue with all of christianity and i have to walk away completely um because there's no other options so we know that's not true and another atonement theory that we've been learning about is uh, christus victor um could you explain that for for our audience of, of what that atonement theory says and, and is sure it's just the it's just the vision that jesus death set us free from what in theology, they call the powers, mm-hmm. the powers. And you see Paul use this language, dominions, thrones, powers. Yeah. That Jesus, it's it's actually a battlefield um, metaphor in a lot of ways, that Christ was victorious. We were held captive through, our, through sin to death. Right. And not just to death, but to the powers. And Jesus' death set us free from that. He was victorious um, for us over that. It's the same vision that you, that you see when Peter tells that interesting story um, text. You remember that line in I believe it's First or Second Peter. It says Jesus went down into hell, yeah. preached to the spirits in prison, yep. led captivity captive, right. plundered, emptied hell. Isn't that uh, Tartarus in that case? In that in that one, I'd have to look it up. I'd have to read. I haven't read that passage in in the Greek New Testament some time, but uh, it's it's that same vision that Jesus yeah. rescued us, yeah, right, and He did not rescue us from God, right, right, <laughs> right. Wow. Well, that's good news that we don't need to be rescued from God. <laughs> that, that's very comforting. Um, Brandon, do you have anything you want to ask about this before we move on? Because oh. I do want to ask you about the Trinity in just a minute. But if you have any other questions or things you want to – about P-subs? Um, P-subs. No. Yeah. <laughs> P-subs. Well, is it the same thing as ransom theory? Are, are those one and the same? A little different. There's a, there's so many theories out there. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, th- I think the last time I, I read or counted, I think there was like 16. You've got some that are not even very popular, like the Bushnellian theory of atonement. I mean, it's just, just you know, crazy See, stuff. See, like this is, it's been my biggest problem with this whole thing is there's so many different ways to think about the Bible. And it's like fundamentalism and evangelical culture they're like this is the only way and if you don't believe exactly like this yeah. you're going to hell and you're going to burn forever yeah so it's like no wonder <laughs> people have issue now right, where it's right, like right. wait a second there's one called me. the federal headship theory i mean there's a wow there, there's that sounds really <laughs> like prophetic person kind of theory yeah 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 there's there's countless Speaking of which, this is not at all what I was going to ask you about, but since you mentioned, what was that? Federal Federal headship. headship, Federal headship. Why is it, and I don't even know if that has anything to do with the prophetic movement, but in the prophetic movement, what is with the obsession with like government uh, roles and like military involvement? Um, This might lead into Christian nationalism, which is fine because your episode will probably come out right after the 4th of July. (laughs) Happy 4th to our American viewers. (laughs) 
But why is so much of the charismatic movement that I grew up in so obsessed with governments and and you know the U.S. New World Order? Yeah, and and, and the and United States. How did that happen? Is it just because we mm. take the idea of like ruling and reigning to be a political meaning? Is that where it comes? Or yes, that's actually where it comes from. The it, they read what God told Adam, have dominion. Yep. They call that the dominion mandate. Right, dominionism. Right. Right. The NAR, if you've ever heard that yes. phrase, the New Apostolic Reformation. Um, the whole seven mountain yep. oh, yeah. kind of idea. And so they, they literally think that the kingdom is going to be manifested through, uh, through positions of power, through positions of authority. There's nothing that I can think of that would be more anti-Christian yeah. than that notion. Right. But that's what they <laughs> like, think. Jesus literally is like, I've come to serve. And then was hung on a cross. Like, he was never, like, in actual political power while he was on Earth. <laughs> Resisted it. Satan comes to right. Jesus. It's like, I'll give you everything. Like, I'll give nah. you all of the kingdoms of this world if you'll fall down and worship me. And he resisted. Right. And so we we believe that Christianity, the kingdom of God, is us imposing Christianity into every sphere of society. Right. And there's nothing that could be more further from the truth than that. So if we're not supposed to be, and I, and I agree, but if, if we're not supposed to be um, enforcing, I guess, Christian values, Christian ideas. I prefer the term imposing. Imposing. <laughs> oh, yeah. If we're not supposed to be imposing through political office, um, a lot of people would, would ask, like, how do we then bring heaven to earth if not through government and politics? Now, I know that we've talked about this before, but I have gotten a comment because uh, I did a, a TikTok about this topic one time, and people hit me back on that. You know, push back on that by saying like, "Well, we're supposed to be influencing the whole world, and what better way to do it but through government? Because they have resources and access, and how better to achieve the Great Commission if unless we have a Christian nation that's totally Christian?" And so, how what would your response to them be? I can't think of anything more absurd than that. <laughs> or I don't mean that mean. I can't think of anything more antithetical to the New Testament than that. Yeah. We we serve we serve we serve the world by loving our neighbor. The life that we have with God was meant to be shared with others, not right. imposed on others. Thank God for the separation of church and state because yeah. we need it more than anybody. Yeah. yeah. I would be terrified to think that I lived in a Christian nation because I've seen some of these Christians that want to take over. Right. <laughs> That's terrifying. Right. Yeah. We are called to suffering love. We're called to serve our neighbor. We're called to wash their feet. Mm. That's what we're called to do. And any anything about that that smacks of power um is is not it's not the kingdom way. Jesus spends his entire time rebuking the powers that be. Right. The book of Revelation. Is yeah. saying one thing. Mm -hmm. I am rebuking the powers that be. Yeah. That we are to serve the world yeah. through suffering love. And we don't get to pick and choose who we serve or how we serve it. Mm -hmm. Well, in that uh, sense then, um, what should the Christian involvement in politics look like? Now, we just came out of election year. And it was insane. A little volatile. It was a bit much. I had to, <laughs> I had to delete some posts right after posting them. I because, had to leave Facebook for a little bit. Yeah, things got a little, a little out of hand there. Um, if if the Christians, if Christianity isn't, 
if America doesn't have to be a Christian nation, and we shouldn't be trying to make it a Christian nation, um, it sounds like a Christian should basically never feel totally at home in either party. You know, it's kind of like being a, a like the Beatles song, The Nowhere Man, where you, you don't really fit in, you know, either way. So how, how should a Christian... Um, how should a Christian focus their politics or, or should we vote? Should we be more liberal conservative? What, what do you think? You know, I'm, it's probably not the best time for me to answer that question. I'm, I'm rethinking so much of that. I do think that the, 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 whole, the entire function of politics is meant to create a society that does good by all of us, right? By all of us. In our current American political system, that's impossible. Yeah, you can't be, you can't, you can't take, you can't pick a side. Right. That does good to all of us. They all have their definitions of what good means, what good looks like, what's good for one, and what's good for the other. And I do think, yeah, vote. I didn't vote this last election. I know that's probably <laughs> same. You know, um, I think we should vote. We should play a part of the process. But if we're if we're appealing to that as our vocation in the kingdom of God. I mean, that, that's, that's kind of utterly foolish. Yeah. yeah. So you kind of brought up revelation there for a second and talking, you know, about how Jesus is rebuking powers. Um, a lot of people think everything happening right now is the end times. And Jesus is about to come back because Palestine and Israel drop bombs on each other for like the hundredth time in the past <laughs> 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. And, nobody's talking about how there's a ceasefire signed, you know, but obviously that was a sign of the end times that was happening. Right. So what's a more true way to read something like revelation? I know that's a huge topic. You know, you spent four to six weeks, I think it was teaching on that one time. So it's kind of hard to get into and, you know, an hour long podcast, but like what's a shortened, uh, lesson on how to truthfully and correctly read something like revelation. First of all, you have to understand that revelation is is it is for us, mm-hmm. but it's not about us, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not written to us, right? It is very specific. It 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 doesn't it literally says to the church at to the, Philadelphia to <laughs> the churches in Asia, yeah, and names all seven of them. Yep. Now people have amazingly made those churches mean different things. Oh, yeah. Seven church ages, mm-hmm. seven dispensations of history. There were actually seven churches in Asia <laughs> that John wrote to. And those churches, there's different messages to those churches, but you can boil it down to mean one of two things. He is writing to churches that are either being condemned by the empire, and he's saying, hold fast and you'll receive a crown of life. Right. Or he's writing to churches that are compromising with the empire, and he's saying, repent or I'll come and remove your lampstand. And all of Revelation has to be read inside of that. You know, it is a special level <laughs> of self-absorption yeah. to think these are Christians in the ancient world being boiled in oil, pulled apart with horses, crucified upside down, being beheaded. And John is trying to encourage them to hold fast. But we say, no, 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 no. What John's really talking about is Costco made me wear a mask. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's right. what's really going on. Here. Right. It is a special level of self-absorption to exalt yeah. our suffering because right. I had to door dash and I'm having to have meetings on zoom <laughs> with that of the ancient world. That's precisely what we're doing. Now, how did we get from, you know, we know that Paul is writing to Timothy, you know, in Timothy, 
we know that he's writing to the Corinthians. Like we understand that he was writing to specific people in specific churches and we take lessons from those things, but we know he's not writing to us. How do we jump from being okay with that viewing of Paul and then saying revelation has got to be about now? Yeah. Yeah. How did that happen? Are we just so self-centered or is it that we're bored and so we need more drama? You know, one thing that I, I always think is that, um, we make these end of the world scenarios because it, it's exciting to us. We want the bloodshed, and I think that speaks to our our sinful, you know, nature that we're still that need to, we need Absolutely. to get saved of is is this idea that it has we to want, be violent. We want this to be true because it validates the worst impulses we have. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I've even seen some people say that um, they'll have front row seats of the bloodshed and they're excited to watch as as Armageddon takes place. And That's worrying. It, it's super worrying. Yeah, I've seen people who claim that they went to heaven. You know how I feel about those heaven vacationers. Oh That's yeah. A, Total different topic. We don't have to get into that. But they they claim that even from up in heaven, you can look down through windows and see you know people being sent to hell and like see people in hell from heaven. Why would you and want to? They, like, people are nuts, man. They they actually act like they enjoy it. Um, I don't know. Look, we've uh, we've been going pretty long already. But before we close, I had an idea for a lightning round because my TikTok has a lot of people um, sending questions in through a Q and A. And a lot of them I just don't take – I don't have the time or some of them are kind of challenging. So I thought I would just ramble through some of those and you just answer as quick as you can. Okay. Here like we go. sound bite answers. Yes. Here we go. Be- well, uh, because – Because we want to take them out of context later on so and you can <laughs> yeah. use them well, against me. Well, so, well so, so you do your Instagram Q&As and sometimes – it's so funny to me because sometimes somebody will ask you a question on Instagram and you'll give this really long – like really thoughtful answer, and other times people original be, sin thumbs up, yeah, yeah, thumbs up <laughs> that's all, that's all or or they'll ask like why don't you believe in the rapture and you just be like because. <laughs> <laughs> so you can do that or you can go deep. It's completely your call. I, I'll go fast because I I get sidetracked really easy. So I'll okay, go fast. okay. All right, so we're going to do a lightning round. These are all questions from my TikTok. So if any of you guys are watching from that, um, I hope that you recognize your own questions. Some of these are really thought out, and some of these are pretty funny. I'm going to go as fast as I can when I answer. Here's Brandon's first one. This is Brandon's question. Thoughts on the Apocrypha? It's vital for understanding the aims and the thoughts of Israel. It's it's vital for that. It is important to read it. Interesting. Uh, Shouldn't the Sabbath day actually be on Saturday? No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Which denomination is the most biblically accurate? Eastern Orthodox. Um, They're not a denomination, but... How do you feel about Jim Baker? I met him once. He was very kind, but uh, I'm not buying any MREs from him. I was going to say, can you get one of the Baker survival buckets? (laughs) Uh, How do you feel about Ouija boards? Uh, Played with one as a kid. Now I'm over it. (laughs) (laughs) So you're not possessed. You're not possessed? Okay. okay, How about um, if the rapture isn't true, then what does the second coming look like? I can't answer that in a lightning round. The second coming is, I don't think that's the proper way to say it. Jesus isn't coming from outer space. It's his glorious appearing. And it's it's when he does not happen in time, he happens to all of time at the same time. You're right. That is not good for anyone. <laughs> uh, okay. Thoughts on open theism? No. <laughs> I'm a classical theist. Okay. Um, oh, I had one up here that said, roast Abel. Go off on Abel from the Bible. So go ahead. He was murdered. What did he do? 
Seth's roasting, man. That's not a roast. Come on. Um, you wimp. Could you not fight back? <laughs> right. There like, you go. <laughs> um, how you about that many weapons? <laughs> What's your opinion on listening to music that might have satanic vibes? <laughs> the people want to know, Pastor. <laughs> What's music with say? I don't even know who that. <laughs> Just is it okay or isn't it? <laughs> I probably wouldn't if you feel satanic vibes, but you do, you man. <laughs> um, why are there giants in the Bible? Yeah, why are there? Giants why are there giants? The why are there giants? It depends in the Bible? on who you ask. Finnis Dake said it's because angels slept with females. Right. So if we're asking you. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, go on. Okay. Um, do you consider yourself a full preterist? No. 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 Great. If you don't know what these terms are, like me, Google is going to be your best friend today. Yes. Um, what What uh, translation of the Bible is the most accurate? The Greek New Testament. <laughs> what translation? I read the NRSV. What's your take on Christian Zionism? No, never. Just no. No, not at all. How do you feel about revivals or, or, or searching for the th- next great awakening? What's your opinion on that? Uh, I would not be going around searching for those things. I, I mean, I was raised in a revival atmosphere, but it's not like I'm waiting for the next one. I'm loving Jesus as much now as I would with or without a revival of some sort. Right. Do you think revival is just lazy? Like, I, I've gotten to the point where I'm like, the idea of like needing a revival to break out is just kind of laziness of like kind of piggybacking your entire faith and your fire off of somebody else. Yeah. Finney, who was obviously a great revivalist said that the the entire purpose of revival is to bring the church back to normal. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So it presupposes that there's been a decline. (laughs) Last question for my TikTok: Are masks a precursor to the end of the world? (laughs) (laughs) Because I did a video saying that they weren't that that the vaccine was not the mark of the beast, and so this person was responding to that, saying, "Okay, it's not the mark of the beast, but are masks and the vaccine a precursor to the mark of the beast?" No, you want me to really blow some minds. Listen, what? I sold no, my I... soul for ten dollar coupons to Target getting that vaccine. I'm going to blow worth some every minds. penny. All right, there are millions of Christians in America right now that already have the mark of the beast. Mm. Let's okay, mm. that's our lightning round. Mm. <laughs> We'll stop there. See <laughs> you uh, we, we definitely need to talk about uh, some of that in more detail. Um, I'd love to hear more about uh, Revelation and the mark itself. Um, you know, we, we talked about that a bit, but um, that's definitely a topic worth diving more into. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you all so much for joining us this week on All Things Reconsidered. Pastor Casey, thank you for being thank here. Thank you, guys. We will have to have you on again so you can kind of go a little bit deeper on some of the things that we lightly touched if you guys enjoyed having pastor casey on drop a comment down below thanking him for being on the podcast and as always hit the subscribe button ring the bell so you know when we upload like the video share it and we will see you all next week yes see you guys